Let me read the opening lines from a new book by historian Don Hagist. It was one of America's longest conflicts. The government's professional army sent volunteer career soldiers accustomed to overseas deployments to fight in a land that was not well understood by many of the policymakers overseeing operations. Tactically, the army was hampered by an amorphous enemy and the unpredictably shifting loyalties of the local population. So guess what war I'm talking about? Iraq? Afghanistan? Nope. I'm talking about the American Revolution. And the government's professional army I referred to there was the British government's army, the King's Own, better known by the colonial insurgents as Redcoats. Don Haggis is with me in the World Studios. His book is British Soldiers, American War. And you center on a collection of accounts written by a handful of British soldiers. Uh, we, we've heard U.S. veterans of today, Don, who've read your book and say that they can identify in some ways with these British soldiers, even though they were America's foreign enemies. What parallels do you see? There are actually quite a lot of parallels, and many of them are summed up right there in the introduction. There's a tendency to look at historical wars strictly in terms of good guys and bad guys. So we lose sight of the idea that the armies are made up of individual people, and they all had lives. They had reasons for joining the army. And the British army during this period was very similar in a lot of ways to the U.S. Army today in that it was an all-volunteer force of people who joined the army as a profession. They didn't sign on for a two-year stint and Mm. then get out. They joined the army with the expectation of that being their profession for the rest of their serviceable life. Kind of like West Point cadets almost without going to West Point. Uh, You could argue that, yeah, except that these men are not joining to serve as officers. They have no expectation Mm. of rising through the ranks during this period when we have a caste system in society anyway. They're expecting to be in the working class. They just happen to be in the working class of the military. Well, I want to get to a couple of individual stories in a moment, but I got to say, as I went through your book, I realized that my understanding of British soldiers was pretty shallow and kind of fit into maybe the stereotype. You know, we have this certain image in the popular imagination of the Redcoats as mindless automatons you you see in movies like uh, The Patriot. But that doesn't kind of fit your description in this book. What, What do you base these stories on? Well, these are all stories based on personal accounts, of course. And, uh, The focus of my own research is on the demographics of the British Army, what kind of people served in it. Well, tell us about one of them. Who is, uh, for example, your favorite character in the book? Uh, One of my favorites is Thomas Watson. He actually left one of the shortest memoirs, but fortunately there are some other documents related to his life that tied in. And we should point out there's precious little evidence or memoirs of any of these uh, redcoats anymore. uh, That's very true. That was another motivation for this book is with the very small number of firsthand accounts, I wanted to try to pull as many as possible together in one place. Watson, who I mentioned, was very much like other British boys and young men. Uh, He was born in Cheshire, and doing what a child would do during that time period, he went to work as soon as he was old enough to work, which is about seven years old, and he went to work in the coal mines. As you might guess, by the time he was 15 or so, he had had quite enough of working in the coal mines. So he went into the army looking to better his life. He wanted a more stable profession. He wanted something that had more prestige to it. And while he was in the army, he learned how to read and write. And this again goes against the conventional wisdom that the soldiers were among the the lowest people of society. They were all illiterate. They had no aspirations. Here's a person who joined the army because he did have aspirations. 
One of your profiles begins with, with this discussion of, of a soldier who uh, might have gone AWOL and just like the discipline that these guys feared. And that's another part of the myth that you kind of bust open, that the British soldiers were brutally disciplined with constant floggings. You kind of found the opposite. Not exclusively the opposite, but largely the opposite. Um, mm. This is where I like to look at these things with a large amount of data. It's certainly true that those soldiers who required brutal discipline received brutal discipline. But the majority of soldiers didn't require the brutal discipline. They enlisted voluntarily. I often use the analogy of, remember when you were in high school and there was a, some portion of the student population that was in trouble all the time. And then there was another portion of the population that was in trouble maybe once or twice throughout their entire mm. school career. But the vast majority of them had pretty clean records. Well, I got to say, your book has uh, certainly added to the body of information on the subject of British soldiers. Don Haggis, author of British Soldiers, American War, Voices of the American Revolution. Thanks for coming in. Really awesome. interesting stuff. Thank you very much for the opportunity of talking about it.